We are a slick operation. I've heard that we're the home of professional podcasts. We are indeed the home of professional podcasts. <laughs> I've heard that once or twice. Oh, you're welcome. About three minutes ago, everybody on the live stream said, ugh, these people. These yeah, people. Yeah. <laughs> All two people watching right. said that. Well, that's good. Good morning. Hello. How are you? Strange. Well, <laughs> I didn't expect my, that response. My, my, yeah. I'm just. That's my, that's what are I, you? I am mentally deficient as well. That what would I be am, what so, are you for a thousand, yeah. Alex? But I am happy to be here, opening God's Word together with you, and hopefully sharing it with at least two or three people who are listening or paying attention. Yes, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we are still in Luke. Scooting right along. We are scooting right along, coming to the very end here. So this Sunday was our penultimate sermon in the series, and we'll Whoa. finish up next week. And we've been in this for it, a so. year, right? Two years. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't you're, you're in a time warp here, yeah. <laughs> That's just an accurate depiction of how my life has been. Yeah, because last Christmas we were... I gave you my heart. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Uh, last Christmas, darn, now I can't get that stupid song out of my head. Ridiculous. L- last Christmas, we were talking about Luke, and uh, there was a thing going around the, on Facebook and other social media. Mm. And I've seen it again this year. Yeah, I did too. Talking about um, reading a chapter of Luke each day through December. 1st, yeah, right. And it, it fits well. It takes you right up to, uh, to Christmas Eve. And so I remember promoting that from the pulpit mm-hmm. last year. And uh, so here we are in our second year. This may be the longest series I've ever preached. I don't know if really? Leviticus might have taken that long. Um, I'm not. I, I can't remember. I'd have to double check. Leviticus is the only one that I can think of that might have gone that long. Leviticus was intense. Genesis and Revelation were both one year. I think. Mm. I don't think. I don't think they were more than a year. I could be wrong about that too, but. I'm wrong about so many things when it comes to remembering and judging time. And but we're nearing the end, and then we're going to start all over again because it's Christmas, and then we're going to learn. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about where we're going with the Advent service. We're, uh, the Advent series, we'll be looking at the gospel in the Advent, and so the the uh, theme concept will be love has come and, and talking about um, the the problem of sin and the promise of a Savior and the 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 need that we have the provision that God gives for for our sin for our our need for a savior um, in what Jesus did in his earthly ministry and coming in this first advent and then we'll take a look at the perfection that is yet to come and the consummation of all things so I'm excited uh, four weeks kind of a, a quick hitter I, I I don't know it's weird to do a four week series after doing don't you wish Christmas was longer years, but um, well, I always wish that, but um, what's your Hallmark Channel that starts in October? <laughs> and and we're, you know, we're looking at the, you know, I'm wrestling with what we're going to do afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so my, the plan as of right now is probably to do the Book of Acts, which mm-hmm. is kind of Luke Volume Two, and finish the story through. Um, we've preached Acts once before, uh, but that's been many years ago. It was before you guys were part of the church, so uh, I may go back through that. Um, we talked about doing Ephesians because it covers so many things that, that we need to talk about that comes, keeps coming up in conversations. But again, I've preached that before, and I'm reluctant to preach a book a second time until I've preached the rest of the Bible right. at, at some point. So, um, Well, there you go. You got a little... 15 years, and we haven't gotten through it all, so we've got, got more that. to do. At two years per book, it's, right. it's, it's going to take you know, a while. So. 
So, uh, but <coughs> there's your little preview for the next several months. Um, and oh. there's your cough for your super cut. So. <laughs> it's coming. Um, How about the mugs? Yeah. So let's get back into Luke. <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, nearing the end here. So, and again, I know I've been saying it every week. I should week probably remind you of the mugs when we're not podcasting. Yes. So, so I'm not episode. thoroughly embarrassed on two <laughs> two platforms. And actually able to act on it. Yeah. So uh, right now while we're podcasting. <laughs> let me order those mugs. Um, we're just all over the place today. Yeah, such uh, nonsense. It's time to get to work. Let's get into Luke. So now, we're, go ahead. Like I've been saying the past few weeks, um, these tend to be areas, I think, I mean, a lot of the book is of Luke uh, and all the gospels are things that we think we know. Yeah. Um, you know that old show, Fanatic, on MTV? <laughs> yeah. And the, the tagline was, you think you know, but you have no idea. Yeah. That's what kind of has been sticking with me throughout this as okay. we as we get into these more familiar stories and kind of looking at them from not, not necessarily a different perspective, but maybe just kind of fresh eyes mm. um, and and reading the context around them instead of just focusing on individual stories. So Yeah, um, and I feel like that might be a little easier with this particular story in Luke 24. I feel like this is a story that perhaps is less familiar. It's a little mm-hmm. uh, maybe neglected is the right word. Um, we know it, we hear about it, and, and church folks maybe know it, but if you haven't spent a lot of time uh, actually in church going through this, maybe you're not familiar with the story or you've heard things about, you know, the Emmaus walk or, mm-hmm, you know, different mm-hmm. things like that and not really um, known where that came from. And so as we go through this particular text in Luke 24, verses 13 to 35, um, we're seeing this uh, this particular slightly less familiar story uh, and maybe we missed the point at times you know because it is i mean it it is 100 percent an appearance of christ and and so as luke is recording this all of these appearances are part of the big picture of establishing that christ actually did physically rise from the dead and made himself known appeared in person physically to a variety of people so that element in the background of it covers all of these and as we see in in chapter 24 overall from the resurrection through his ascension that that we'll get to next sunday uh, all of this keeps going back to this is what i told you this is what was written this is what i told you and uh, so the the idea that this was always the plan of God, it was always prophesied, it wasn't a surprise, it didn't sneak up on anybody, it's verifiable, I told you it was going to happen, it happened, I'm telling you now what happened, mm-hmm. um, that, that theme is there through all of it, which goes back to why Luke wrote the book in the first place. I wrote this so that you would know the certainty of what you've been taught. You'd have a solid foundation for your faith. You wouldn't have to have doubt. You can look at this and say, okay, here's what uh, what actually happened according to verifiable witnesses. Here's what was investigated um, with a, a thorough um, effort, uh, a strategic, um, orderly, constructed storytelling from Luke to put this all together and confirm it with those. And, and we see names that are mentioned repeatedly throughout uh, Luke's account that would be names people recognized. Either they um, were still around that they could go and confirm these stories, or they mm. were people that were were known uh, among the, among the church. You know that had some reputation. 
<clears throat> so as he's establishing these concepts, we see the, the, the picture of who Christ is, what he did, the, the confirmation of the historicity of it, but also the, the doctrinal background of it. And, and Luke emphasizes heavily the ministry to the Gentiles, being the only Gentile writer of Scripture. Mm-hmm. He, he emphasis, emphasizes heavily the ministry to outsiders, to disenfranchised, to, to what uh, society might have seen as second-class citizens. So slaves, uh, lepers, women, children there there are so many classes that are not the the power classes mm-hmm. um and so you know as he's writing to uh two people who can identify with those things they can say oh wait a minute jesus also cared about me right you know he, he's connected with this now as we get to this particular portion jesus it's the same day that that he rose from the dead. And last time we looked at that resurrection and uh, his appearance, um, not his appearance, but the, the women going to the tomb and not seeing him. Uh, other gospels record his appearance to Mary. But uh, as as they go here, they find these angels. They don't find his body. They're freaked out. They go back to tell the, the disciples. And uh, verse 13 says, Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, which... Uh, it's it about 60 stadia in the Greek. is about 11 kilometers. And so, you know, they weren't talking in miles. We put that into the right. English version right. here so we can connect to it. Uh, <clears throat> but they're taking this walk. And on this walk, they're doing what, would, what they would naturally do. Verse 14, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So they're in mourning. They're, they're overcome. They're mm-hmm. freaked out because the women came and said the body's not there. Right. They, you know, the women, you know, talk about angels. Well, clearly they're overcome by grief and they're just not making sense. Mm-hmm. The things that they're saying are nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, so as they talked and discussed these things, verse 15, with each other, that sounded weird the way I said that. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, 15. right? Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. And this, I think, is an important part. This next verse is an important part of it. But they were kept from recognizing him. So they're in the middle of their of their grief, of their hardship, of all of this overwhelming negative emotion. They're sharing this grief together, which is, you know, we're wired for that. Right. The devil loves to get us in isolation. God designed us to be able to share our burdens with one another, mm-hmm. to share our joys with one another. So good things happen. You just naturally want to tell people. That's why all these social media things go, go crazy. Right. Because when I have something, something that makes me mad, I want to tell everybody. Right. Something that makes me sad, I want to tell everybody. Something that makes me excited, I want to tell everybody. Mm-hmm. Pictures of my kid or my dog wearing a hat or you know whatever cheeseburger I made that looks all cool and beautiful, I want to tell everybody. I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> or... Firm, <laughs> so you know that that's we're wired for that and so t- the social media technology gives us the opportunity to do that in a broad sense right but so just a little knock on social media as i'm affirming it as well it gives us the opportunity to fulfill that desire without fulfilling the full process of engaging with people sure so right. we can be in isolation and yet feel like we're not as because Ooh. we've got hundreds and maybe thousands of friends, so to speak, or followers, who we have no real engagement with. That's for, Some, our, that's for our psychology podcast on Right, Wednesdays. yeah, we'll have to catch that on another <laughs> one. Uh, but God did hardwire us right. for relationships. Mm-hmm. And the, the things that draw us away from relationships are usually causing us to spiral downward right. more often than not. 
So they're doing that. And then Jesus comes, and, and while what they really, what they think they want is comfort. They think they want peace. They want to be able to get through this. I keep taking the glasses on and off. You know, People listening to the podcast do not care. People on the live stream are thinking, this dude is weird. But anyway. Can he see? Can he not see? <laughs> people listening probably still think the dude is weird. Uh, but, but Jesus is there with them. And it's not that they didn't recognize him. It's not like he got a new haircut and shaved. He's wearing, and, you know, Groucho Marx glasses. Right. It's not like that. Right. It's not in disguise. Mm-hmm. It's not that they forgot in three days what he looks like. <laughs> but God specifically keeps them from being able to see who it is. Mm-hmm. They can see him, but they don't see him. Right. And that's deliberate. God does that with us as well. There are times when God deliberately keeps himself hidden in the background. He's still active. He's still speaking, just as Jesus is speaking with them here. He's walking along with them. And as he walked, he asked them, uh, what are you discussing together as you walk along? So he's engaged with them. And as he asked this, they, st- they stand still. They stop walking. Their faces are downcast. And Cleopas, one of them, says, what's the matter with you? Where you been? That's my paraphrase. Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. Now, obviously, as so often happens, just like God in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, when he says, where are you? He knows where you are. Mm -hmm. Where have you been? I know where you've been. What have you done? I'm pretty clear on this. There are no surprises. Jesus knows full well what happened in Jerusalem (laughs) because it was him. So now as as they're walking, God hides himself from them. And he hides himself from us, not, not because he doesn't want to be with us. He is still with us, but he keeps us sometimes from recognizing him. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Oswald Chambers uh, once in one of the devotions I read from him called it the blessing of God's absence. That it's that sense of his absence that allows us to deepen our faith. When we feel that God is not there, we know that he is there and we choose to believe his word rather than to believe our sense of him. Mm -hmm. That's one of the problems that, and I'm going to offend some people with this, and uh, I apologize. Usually I'll leave the offensive things to guys like John MacArthur who are much better at it and smarter than I am. But that's one of the problems that we see with so much of the charismatic movement. Mm -hmm. It's not that everything is bad, but one of the tendencies that we see among, uh, among the movement, again, this is broad strokes here, not, not everybody, is this constant desire for an experience, for, for yeah. me to sense it. And it's not always, what does God's word say? But what do I feel the spirit impressing upon me? What do I think God is saying to me? That all is a very subjective thing that, that very often can allow for the deception of the devil to come in. But even beyond that, it relies so much on our own understanding, our own sensory perception. What do I feel? What do I see? What does it look like? What do I think God should be doing? Rather than, what does the word say? And specifically in this conversation, what we see is God hiding himself, keeping them from the experience of him. Now that is something that's easy for us to miss. We just read through it fast and we overlook that. But God, that Christ himself, present with them, is deliberately keeping them from experiencing the sense that he is with them. Mm. 
Now, even so, as he's opening the scriptures, they say later on, were our hearts not burning within us as he opened the, the, our eyes to the scriptures? So as they're doing this, there is, there's power in studying the word. But God wants for us to relate to him both rationally and relationally. We could not get to a place where we can fully experience the power of God's presence if we're constantly seeking the feeling of God's presence. We want God to, and we've talked about this so many times, we, we want God to just take our troubles from us, take these things, change my mind. We sing, change my heart, O God. And that's a good thing to pray. But it's more than, God, change my heart, and then sit back and let God do it. Right. It's change my heart and get your tail working at understand. I've got to get control here. Uh, get yourself into the Word of God and study it. So he, as he's walking with them, uh, he says, what things? They're kept from recognizing him. So, so keep that in mind. They don't know this is Jesus. Right. It's just a dude. Just a guy walking along. He's a dude. Who who says what happened? So they explain all this to him, and they're they're so sad about it that they don't even call him Messiah. They've been knowing him as Messiah. He's been hailed as Messiah in the streets. Uh, Say about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. He wasn't just a prophet. Three days ago, they knew he wasn't just a prophet. They called him the Son of God, the Messiah, Mm -hmm. the Chosen One. Mm -hmm. He is the guy. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. All their hopes were dashed because now their understanding is upset. The rug was pulled out from under them. Everything they thought they knew was now turned upside down, it seemed. All their hope was gone, and their feelings were overwhelming what he had taught them, what they'd seen in the scriptures, what he had taught them for three years. We had hoped he was the one. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. Now, it's easy for us to look at that third day and think it's a reference to him talking about the resurrection. And it might be. Many many scholars would say this is a reference to the Jewish superstition or the Jewish belief that the soul departed from the body after three days, that the mm-hmm. soul remained with the body and after three days went away, uh, which just, that seems to fly in the face of what Paul says, you know, that um, the we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. Right. But in any case, this they're distressed. Whether it's because it's the third day, and you know he said he was coming back, and we haven't seen him, that doesn't seem quite as much to fit as perhaps that that idea that they're caught up in the superstition that well it's over now because right. it's been three days, right. even though Lazarus was was raised after four. But in any case, they're they're distraught. They're dragged under by their negative emotions. In addition, verse 22 says, some of our women amazed us. They went to the, and that amazed isn't like, wow, that's awesome. Right. It was like, wow, what are you saying? Right. What is going on here? So there, there seems to be this idea that they, they kind of pity the women. Um, we're overwhelmed, but they're really right. overwhelmed. And they're so they overwhelmed that, that what they're saying, they, they really want Jesus to be here. So they're imagining these yeah. angels. They don't say they saw angels. They say they, they claim to see a vision of angels. So you're like stacking caveats on here. Uh, they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jul- Jesus responds so clearly and, and not necessarily 
what we might consider compassionately. He speaks very directly to them and says, how foolish you are, how thick-headed. I think the, the uh, message says how, how dull of mind or how, yeah, how dull of mind and slow of heart or something like that. Um, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And this is really the climactic verse of the passage. As Jesus is going through this, and this is the reason, it's the evident, apparent reason that God keeps them from recognizing him. So that by withholding the sensory experience of God, the feeling of Oh, wow, comfort, because he really is alive. Mm -hmm. Stop. Let's dig deeper. Let's get past your preconceived notions. Let's shatter your expectations and get down to what the word says. Mm -hmm. So Jesus goes, he doesn't say, here's what I told you as I was walking with you. He says, let's go from Genesis through Malachi. And we're going to talk about the, all these scriptures that say that the Messiah, they already knew the passages about Messiah uh, being glorified and powerful right. and all that. They were expecting that. So on this walk, he goes through and shows them not only is the Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament, but the suffering of the Messiah, the death of the Messiah, the resurrection of the Messiah. These are things that are in the Old Testament, and you can't miss it when you, once you see it. If you, before you see it, it's easy to miss it. It's easy to overlook it, and right. that's what they were doing. So they're expecting the glory. He takes them through and shows them the suffering. This is the way. That's why Peter later on in his letter would say that, that you know, in his suffering, he left us a path to follow, that we should walk in his steps. He left us an example in his suffering, that we should suffer the way he suffered, understanding that that's part of the journey. So it's not just walk in his steps. I love the, the uh, novel from the early 20th century called In His Steps, um, which that's where the whole what would Jesus do right. movement came from that was real popular in the 90s. That whole idea of what would Jesus do is important, but that walking in his steps doesn't actually refer to those things so much as it refers to how do you handle suffering. That's specifically the context that Peter's talking about. Well, Jesus here is saying this all of the scriptures pointed to me. Elsewhere, when he's talking to, to uh, the, the Pharisees and religious leaders, he calls them down and says, you diligently search the scriptures because you think in them you're going to find life. You're going to find the magic formulas of doing all these things and gain points with God and you're going to find life here. But you're missing it because those are the very scriptures that talk about me. And then he calls them out and says, you know, you, you want to believe Moses and the prophets. If you really believed Moses then you'd believe in me because he was talking about me. And, and that constant theme in the New Testament that says all of the, we're not doing something new. We are springboarding off of the Old Testament. This is the finishing of what the Old Testament was always talking about. And so as he's doing this, they had to have the sense, the feeling removed, the affection, the emotion removed so to God get, blocks them from recognizing to see the reality them, of it. to be able to get to the reality, to rationally walk through and say, oh, okay, so apart from this exuberant joy because we see Jesus, and now I don't hear anything else. Right. You know, it's, right, more, right, right. it's like, boom, here it is. Uh, I, I remember when I was getting married and I see my, the moment I saw my wife coming down the aisle, like everything else disappeared. Mm -hmm. This is my bride and the tears start to flow. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I've been feeling that way for 30 years. But, but from that moment on, I couldn't hear or see 
anything but her. Mm-hmm. Well, that same thing would have happened if they had seen Jesus right. on, on the road. Right. And Jesus specifically was there to show them, here is what the word says, what it has always said about me. So you can believe. So then they're encouraged by the scriptures. They're finding this power. And after searching the scriptures, having their eyes open to recognize the scriptures, they engage him. They want him to be with them. Now, they don't know it's Jesus, but they want him to stay. We want more of you. We want to invite you. We want you to stay here. You don't need to go walking in the night. Come stay at our house. And he engages with them. They're at the table. He breaks the bread and gives thanks and and gives it to them. And whether that's uh, a reference to them celebrating communion or seeming like celebrating communion or whatever else, it seems to be just a reference to having dinner. And they have this guest break the bread and pray. At that moment, they open... Uh, He opens their eyes to recognize him. And as they recognize him, then he disappears from their sight. Resurrection body doing crazy things is going to later show up in the room with the uh, the disciples behind a locked door. Mm -hmm. That's pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. Our resurrection bodies are different than what we recognize now. And yet still physical. And he he proves and demonstrates that as he appears to them. And we'll see that um, this next Sunday. But then... They get to see him. Then they get the experience. But they have to have the rational aspect to be able to get the relational aspect. We have to have our foundation be more than the feeling of Christ. If all we're doing is coming to church and hearing a sermon and you know getting caught up in music and, and we get this rush of emotion and that's right. wonderful. Now so many people who um, hinge their salvation on a an emotional rush experience. I, I prayed to the Lord and I just felt this warm feeling wash over me and had this great mountaintop experience. And and that's great to for what it is. But the reality is that can never be enough mm-hmm. to give you a solid foundation. It's not in marriage. Being in love is not a valid reason in itself. It's a great spark. It's not a good enough foundation for a relationship. It never will be. It never has been. Because Every person who's ever been divorced at some point was in love enough to get married. They were so excited about one another they couldn't couldn't stand the idea of not being married. And then they weren't. <laughs> you know, well, for, it's the same for whatever thing. reason. On a shorter, you know, scale or a smaller scale, like you're talking about church, you know, you can go to church on Sunday and get really fired up yeah. and and feel great when you leave and then by Wednesday you're like, Wah. or by Sunday afternoon. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so you think about other things in your life that <laughs> you might be really fired up for and then you lose that as well in, yeah. a, in a short amount of time so it's the it's the reality of things that keeps you going even you know looking at holidays you know we got yeah, thanksgiving yeah, yeah. coming up next week you got christmas coming up we got all this build up and it's so awesome and nostalgic and right. you get family gatherings and, and so on and so forth and, and then the moment is passed and all of a sudden there's this big letdown yeah the you day know, after christmas always feels it's like it's a depressing day it is. you know it's like you know take my tree down and if that's all we have for our faith is that that emotional effective kind of thing then that the affectations are not enough Mm -hmm. to give us a solid root base a solid foundation that's why when jesus talks about the 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 foolish man and the wise man building upon the rock there's more to it than the emotion the foolish man builds on the sand why would you build on the sand? Because it's beautiful, it's quick. It, it, you know, building on a rock foundation is harder. Mm-hmm. It's more work. Mm-hmm. 
but it lasts. Yeah. And what he's doing for them here is pointing out to them and getting them to realize rationally with their brains that the story of reality centers on Jesus Christ. So that then effectively, emotionally, spiritually, experientially, they can build on that rational understanding and then see him, mm -hmm. actually see him here at the center of life and find life. And, and that's why he says, if you had really believed Moses, you'd believe me. He also says, if you don't, you know, I think it was Paul said, if you hadn't believed, might have been Peter. I'm getting confused on some of their speeches in the book of Acts. Um, Maybe we should go through it. That's a good call. <laughs> if, you, if you don't believe Moses, how are you ever going to believe the rest of this? Because right. Moses is pointing it here. So you have to have this Old, Old Testament foundation to get it, to really grasp it. So <clears throat> that... That idea of Jesus at the center of reality is more than just a meme. It's more than something right. that we talk about or sing about in a song. We have to grasp that with the rational part of us that says, okay, I get it. Here's what God says in his word. Here's how this fits together. It's not the idea of I'm going to, I have to set my brain aside. Right. So I have this blind faith. I, I have to stop thinking scientifically. I have to stop thinking about mathematics or, or hard things in the world and just accept and feel and all. That's the opposite of what the scriptures call us to. And this is a great picture of that. I think, you know, this is so important and, and relevant for us to consider today as well because, I mean, personally, I guess, I'll use myself since I'm, nobody else is here but you. <laughs> things get hard. Mm. Things get scary. And there are plenty of times in life where you're like, what do I do? I don't, everything's falling apart. What do I do? I have no idea what to do. Where is God? Where is, you know, and it's easy to let your feelings just take the reins. Right. Absolutely. And that's the natural. Right. And the more you do that, I feel like for me anyway, the more I've done that in my life, that tends to, because they're taking the reins, they're dragging me further away from what I know to be reality. Right. And that's not a good place to be. <laughs> James Dobson wrote a book years and years ago called Emotions, Can You Trust Them? That, that's a very valid premise mm -hmm. to look at. Emotions, are, it's not that emotions aren't real and right. they're not valid, right. but they are not meant to be guides. They're not right. meant to be leaders. They can be indicators. They can tell us that something's wrong. They can tell us that something is right. What they don't do well is to tell us what is wrong or how to fix it or what is right and how to build on it. So the, the idea of today I feel good, how often do we have days where you just feel good and you don't know why? Or days that you just feel bad and you don't know why? Right that's not really particularly helpful. It's great to enjoy in the moment, or not but, it enjoy. but it doesn't, right. But it doesn't help you right. in establishing something. Right. So the, the, there's a reason that we bang the drum so hard of scripture, scripture, scripture at real life. We really want to make sure that it's more than coming on Sunday morning. It's more than listening to a podcast or, you know, picking stuff up on, uh, picking stuff up on, on the internet or from some quick devotional. Again, even, you know, we've talked about the daily bread, our, our daily bread, which is, uh, I recommend, we have it here, we give it out free. But if all you're doing is reading the little, uh, you know, one page devotion and you, and you move on, then what James McDonald once said about it and several others I'm sure have said it, is it, true. It's just our daily crumb. That's mm -hmm. not helpful. Mm -hmm. 
if you really want to get what is intended from that, there's a reason they list suggested scriptures. Now, they right. can't put that all on the page or you'd have a big book. But open the Bible. Don't just read what the writer says. Read the scriptures that have to do with that. Mm -hmm. Because a human opinion is only going to take you so far. Right. It, it's helpful to the extent that it matches the scriptures. But you don't know. And it can know. get your wheels turning. Right. And, but, but again, if you don't read the scriptures yourself, you don't know. Right. That's the beauty of the Reformation was the sola scriptura concept. That it's more than... That what does the church teach? It's scripture alone. We need to get to the authority of God's word. And when we have God's word in our hands, the, the best thing that Luther did was not nailing theses to the door. It was getting the Bible in the common language of the people. Wycliffe and Tyndale in the English language. These were the people, and, and actually even Jerome, uh, when he did the Latin Vulgate uh, long before that, which became the, the official uh, Bible of the church, the official translation that they used. But that was great for Romans who spoke Latin. Mm -hmm. But once you got away from that, it wasn't in academic Latin, it was in the common Latin, the vulgar Latin, so to speak, and that's why it's called the Vulgate. But then when that went away, that was no good. Just like now, we have people that will bang the drum of the King James Version. The King James Version had, had wonderful features. It was one of the most influential things, perhaps the most influential book in world history, for sure in Western civilization. But we don't speak write, that language. Write. So Martin Luther's Bible, incredibly influential. Probably the most important single translation to, to happen, period. You know, once you get past the Hebrew and Greek and the original autographs, the most important linchpin from that time to this may be Luther's translation. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm not gonna read we don't, we're not going to have <laughs> right. any success with right. that. You know, I was a German linguist, and I have to work. I mean, it's been a lot of years, but I have to work slowly to get through it. And even when I do, that's not my native tongue. It's not right. my heart language. You're almost language. concentrating more on getting through it Absolutely. than what it actually so, says. So when we when we get hung up on translations, some are better than, than others. Right. Uh, and I've been pretty outspoken. I think the NIV 84 edition is perhaps, in my opinion, for from where I sit as a former translator, and I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, so I don't want to ever pretend that. I think that's the best take on translation of any of the modern English translations. I don't feel that way about the NIV 2011, the newer edition. Mm -hmm. I, I think they went, there are still a lot of good elements. I still use it. That's what we you know use as our pew Bibles here. But I don't think it's as good a translation as the 84 edition. They, mm -hmm. Some of the updates, there are t places where I think it's better. But for the most part, it's not as good. And the grammar kills me in some of it. But you've got the English Standard Version. You've got the New American Standard Version. Which I are, often look at the message even. The message is very helpful. It's very different. It's very dynamic. But if I'm reading a verse and I don't quite understand yeah. what it means, I'll look at I, that. I actually and, will use that yeah. a lot of the time. The, I, I, I use the message very much the way I use the Amplified Bible. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll, I'll use a, 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 a standard English translation, usually the NIV 84. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll use the ESV or a New American Standard along with that. With, they're a little more word for word. Mm -hmm. And then I'll use the message or the Amplified. The Amplified is not so great for a reading Bible because it takes the nuances and adds them in in right. parentheses right. and brackets. The message basically does that in a, in a prose form. Right. So some will call it a paraphrase, and it is to a certain extent. It's a dynamic translation. Right. But when Dr. Peterson did that, he did it, at, you know, he would preach from a Greek text open on his, on his pulpit, which mm -hmm. is mind-blowing to me. 
And so that's his approach was, I'm going to translate this in a thought for thought thing so that it hits you the same way it would hit the original audience. Right. That's great. It's not necessarily good for a word study, right. but I will use that as a backup to help right. bring out the flavors, help right. bring out the nuances. And there are times I like it. There are times that I don't. Um, but ultimately what we want to do is we want to understand God's word as mm -hmm. God intends it to be understood. Mm -hmm. So we have to see the text as the primary thing. What does it actually say? We look at the context. What is it talking about in the bigger picture? What does it say in this whole book? In, in, in Luke's gospel, what is the big picture here? And then all of these little pieces fit into that big picture. And how does Luke's gospel fit into the whole picture of the New Testament and into the whole picture of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? Because that is the content of reality, ultimately, right. in, in that. And so uh, that idea of seeing the Bible as it is, taking what it says in the way that it's intended. So genre is important. We've got to mm -hmm. recognize some is intended to be literally taken literally, and some is deliberately like a not a literal. Of, right. right. And when you're talking about the psalmist or, or Song of Solomon, for example, right. you know, when you see the, the language like, you know, your, your uh, teeth are a flock of sheep. No, they're not. You know, that, it's terrifying. It's poetic language. Right. And so we need to be able to to recognize the genres for what they are. Sure. But anyhow. So uh, we'll, read the Bible. I assume we're over. I don't know how long <laughs> we I'm are. We are, but so. uh, I think this was important. So I get a little excited. We know. We know. We also messed around for a little bit. Uh, yes. So bottom line here, read the scriptures. And when you do, and you will see that Jesus is the center of them. And when we recognize that, that's where life is found. That's a good place to end. So we will see you guys next time.